Have you ever struggled with understanding the Word of God? You're not alone. Let's look at the scriptures together and understand how we can apply biblical principles in our daily lives, right here on the Creekside Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Creekside Podcast. My name is James. I'll be your host today, and this is our co-host, Drew Byers. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Uh, it's a hot summer day. Hot it's summer day. hot in this room. And uh, that's that's about what's on my mind this afternoon. That's so, it. That's it. Yeah. Just sweat and heat. Yeah. Good so, old Tennessee that's, weather. That's Tennessee this time of year. Yeah. So You get what you get. Yeah. And you don't throw a fit. That's, I say that to my kids all the time. Does that work? No. <laughs> <laughs> so Well, there's, there's that. Uh, I think yeah. we're going to start in the Gospel of Luke today. Um, we're going to start uh, just reading through and asking some questions and uh, talking about the scripture, so I'm gonna just jump right in and uh, read a good bit of this, and uh, and then we'll just talk about it. Um, just ask some questions and maybe some things that jump out to us. So, cool. uh, this is Luke chapter three, starting in verse number one. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the word, excuse me, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 10, the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, 
And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. There's a lot of information there. And a lot of this came from, uh, looks like, John the Baptist. So can you tell us a little bit about John the Baptist? Yeah, I'd like to point out, first of all, that John was a Baptist, right? Uh, Don't see John the Presbyterian. Don't see John the Methodist. You know, see John the Baptist. No, that's a a joke. Um, But I think it is important that there is this guy that shows up on the scene who is doing the act of baptism. And uh, we've kind of got to know what what's uh, wrapped up in this uh, in this practice. The first part of this uh, of this chapter, we see all these names. You read about Pontius Pilate and Tiberius Caesar and all these rulers, and we might not even know what in the world a tetrarch is. Uh, the reason Luke lays all this out here is because he wants his readers to know this was an actual period of human history. Like, this actually happened. John's a real person. This baptism's not just uh, a figure of speech. This is something that that actually went on. And so he tries to document this uh, with historical data. If you flip over to uh, Luke chapter 1, you read that Luke writes this letter, uh, this this gospel, to a guy by the name of Theophilus, and he writes it down um, so that he might give an orderly account um, that they may have certainty concerning the things that they have been taught. So that's that's the purpose of the book of Luke, is to give an orderly account. And so if you're going to jump into the middle of Jesus' life, essentially here, we're jumping in when Jesus is about 30 years old, he wants to kind of set the historical context for what's going on. So he sets the he does that by saying, like, here's who was in charge of Israel, of the land of Judea during this time. And then he introduces this guy named John. Um the thing that's important to note about John is he he's kind of like a prophet. Uh, he, he functions as a prophet in the storyline, and he's the one who is uh, preparing the, the way for the Lord. Um, that's what you see there in the book of Isaiah. And I love, I love this part of the book of Luke and, and the New Testament on the whole uh, is when the New Testament authors show us that God is making good on his promises. Yeah. So like the whole Old Testament is about these promises God is making that he's made to his people and that he promises to fulfill. And there's this great promise throughout the Old Testament that the all of the nations are going to be blessed you know, through the Lord's work and through uh, the Messiah. And what do we what do we see in verse six? The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, right? The valleys filled, the mountains are made low, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Uh, that's not talking about John. That's talking about Jesus. Right? right. Jesus is, is coming onto the scene, but it is through John's ministry of baptism that we. It's kind of like the keyhole that we look through to look into uh, this bigger picture of Jesus. Uh, bringing about the salvation of God. Uh, That's what we see here in John's ministry. So John is prophesied in the Old Testament, right? There's going to come one crying in the wilderness. We know he lived in the wilderness and and did these things, but he's a forerunner uh, of Jesus in this way. And he he himself is very clear to make distinction that he's not the one uh, who's going to bring about this salvation, but he's the one who speaks about this one that is to come. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, one of the things about John was uh, his harsh words. Yeah, can you touch on that? What what about harsh words? Yeah, I I mean, he gives us some hard things to think about. I mean, in verse number six, all the crowds come out to be baptized by him. Um, you, you think about what draws a crowd in our culture, right? Yeah. Think thinking about the kinds of things that draw a crowd. Um, 
you can draw a crowd by um, saying really good things to people, right? Yeah. Telling people what you want, what they want to hear. You can also draw a crowd by saying really bad things about other people. True. Okay. So I even I just think about like uh, even in like a political atmosphere, right? How do how did you know politicians draw a crowd? Um, either by saying like really good things about the people gathered in the crowd or saying really bad things about the people who aren't gathered in the crowd. What does John do? A crowd gathers around him. He says really bad things to the people gathered right. in this crowd. He calls them a, a brood of vipers. Uh, and, you know, what a what a harsh, harsh way to talk about uh, about individuals. Um, he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? See, you're not supposed to flee from the wrath. You're supposed to bear the wrath that's to come, right? You're not doing what is right. And I think that these are understood in this text to be religious people in some way. They're coming out to John to be to be baptized. They seem to be acquainted with the Jewish religion. They seem to desire to have a an understanding of the law and to use the law when it's convenient for them, uh, but they don't seem to love the law, to mm. delight in it. And so that's why um, that, that's why in verse 8, John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. We see, the, we see this charge. He says, don't continue to walk in, in the ways that you are, but I'm preaching this harsh message to you because you're deceived. You, you think that you are good simply because you are... Abraham's children by according to the flesh. And you see that there in verse number eight. We have Abraham as our father. So these Jewish, uh, I think these Jewish religious people uh, would boast about the fact that Abraham was, you know, their ancestor, their great, great, great grandfather, however, however far back you want to go. But John says, you're not even, uh, you're not even loving the law. You're not even keeping the, uh, you're not even repenting when you are wrong. Uh, You're not, you're not allowing the law of God to correct you and to instruct you. And so then you get this phrase here. Um, He says, we have the, the religious people say, we have Abraham as our father. And then John says this incredible phrase, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Yeah. So, essentially, God would rather have these rocks <laughs> to be his, you know, his people than you because of the hardness of your yeah. heart. You know, you, you need to be saved. You need to uh, repent of your sin, not to walk in your hardness of heart anymore. And then in verse 9, he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is uh, cut down and thrown into the fire. What is John telling these people who have come out, these crowds that have come out to see him, what's he telling them is going to happen? That they're going to meet the fire, right? They're going to be like trees that are cut up and thrown into the fire because they don't bear any good fruit. He mm-hmm. preaches a message of of judgment to them. I do think it's interesting in the Scripture um, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, earlier even today about this, but oftentimes when you you read the harsh language of the New Testament, it's often addressed to those who are religious. Yeah, You read about the way Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, who are the most religious of that day, and he speaks to them very harshly. You read about John here speaking to, again, I think a religious crowd, not just a, a crowd of, of lost people, but a, a particular kind of crowd that's familiar with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be familiar with religion, but they don't seem to be very r- familiar with the ways of the Lord, right? Yeah. And he speaks very harshly to them, I think, to wake them up, right, to, to make them see that if they don't repent, if they don't 
uh, if they're not saved, then then they they won't see the Lord. We're not going to be saved by the works of our flesh or by the works of our hands. And so uh, that, that's what that's what we see going on here. I think that's why John speaks so harshly to the crowds. It, it might you might read this and say, "Hey, this sounds kind of mean." You know, John sounds like kind of a mean guy, um, and and we might be tempted to think that, but. I think I do think that we see here that John's um, trying to tell this crowd the truth about their relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not unloving to tell someone the truth, even when the truth is hard to hear. Right. You know, um, and I know as Christians we are to speak the truth in love, and, and, and we we certainly want to do that, and we want to preach the gospel to people uh, winsomely and in a way that is kind and that is compassionate. Um, but if you're if you're if you're rolling you know if you're going off the edge of a cliff you know the the, the way that you speak the way that you get someone's attention uh, you know you're not really concerned about the, the love of in the tone of their voice in that moment you're concerned about the message being get, got, gotten across and I, I think you see some of that here also just just remember the prophets were not known for being really well liked mm. in the Old Testament. And John kind of is the last, you know, the last Old Testament prophet in a real sense before Jesus comes onto the scene. Uh, so, I mean, I think about the prophet Jeremiah. Um, if you want a church growth scheme, don't read the book of Jeremiah. Because what does Jeremiah do? He shows up on the scene. God, God tells him, hey, you're going to go and you're going to preach to my people and they're not going to listen to you. Right. And in fact, they're going to turn the other way. What does faithfulness look like in Jeremiah's life? It looks like going and doing what God's told him to, even though people turn away from his message. Right? Yeah. I think you see the same thing here in John. He's, he's been given a word from the Lord and it's, it's told the people how they are to live. But what happens in verse number 10, the crowds continue to ask him, what then shall we do? How then should we live? So it seems like even though there's a harsh message that John is presenting to the crowds, their hearts are open to hear that. Yeah, The word of God never returns void. And so just let me just say that perhaps you, maybe you're listening to this and you have a a lost friend or a lost uh, neighbor, family member, whatever it is, and you are afraid that if you share the gospel with them, that it will be news that's too hard for them to hear, and that they will, you know, it, it might harm your relationship with them. Uh, they might, they, you might think it would harden them uh, to the Lord. Our job as Christians is not to control people's response to the word but to preach the word, even yeah. though it's a hard thing to hear. So just let John's uh, example here be an encouragement to you to be bold in the way that you preach the gospel. Now, and again, I do think it's important to take into mind, uh, we're talking about religious people here and uh, those who are acquainted with religion but are hip hip hypocritical, it seems, right. in this context. Mm -hmm. uh, this doesn't give you a license to be a jerk about things. No. Uh you know, we are as Christians, we are called to be kind and to be tenderhearted and to be loving and to speak the truth in love. And that does take a measure of wisdom. But don't ever back away from telling the truth just because you're afraid it might offend some people. Because that offense might actually be the first step for them coming to know the Lord. And that's what it seems like in this passage. You, we see in verse 10, the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And then John just gives him some practical advice. Here's what repentance looks like. You took two tunics from this guy. So... 
share one with him. You know, you tax collector, you extorted money from this person, so give it back. Don't take any more than you're supposed to, right? Telling them if you believe in uh, in the repentance of sins, then this is what that looks like in your life. I think it's important to note there's a lot of talk about repentance um, in our in our culture, and in this particular context, this repentance is specific. Um, there's a specific kind of action. There's a wrong that's been done, mm-hmm. and John tells them to right that particular wrong. And there are particular persons that this this is to be restored to. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not just like, hey, James, I s- took extra money from you, and so I feel bad about that. Well, let me give this $5 I took from you to a homeless person. That'll right. make me—no, f- it, it needs to go back to— when you, you yeah. right and I, repentance I, I think in this in this context is is specific and so it's not just uh it has to do with interpersonal relationships in this particular context i think that's an important thing for us to uh, for us to consider um repentance in the scripture seems to have a very uh general or not general a specific recipient that we repent towards the lord and then we repent towards particular people that we have wronged does that make sense it does yeah, uh, and I think that's an important thing, and just a practical thing for us to consider: who have I wronged, or who have I mistreated, and how can I repent of those kinds of sins? We see that, and, and what's interesting here is uh, the kinds of people that are coming to him. Right, mm-hmm. first we have the religious people, and John tells them to share tunics with them. Right, share your share your food and share your tunics with those who don't have any. You have tax collectors that come to him, who would tax collectors would have been like Jews who sold out to the government. You know, they like they're like turncoats. You know, they swapped sides. They wanted to make a buck, and so now these Jews, these tax collectors, are even coming uh, to be baptized. And then what do you have? Soldiers. Well, these probably wouldn't have been Jews, but probably Greeks. These soldiers who were coming. So we see even here, we see the nations being intertwined. We see verse eight: all flesh, all of the nations shall see the salvation of God. That all these kinds of people are having their their hearts turned towards the Lord because of John's proclamation here as a forerunner to what Jesus is going to do. That's awesome. One of the things that uh, John the Baptist says down in, uh, let me get to the right spot, Um, verse 16, John answers them all, and of course I have a little bit of a different version than you do. I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, Then he goes on to talk about this one who is coming, like we said, that's what his his kind of John the Baptist's role was to be the forerunner, right, for Christ. And he gives this entire genealogy. Uh, can you go through that with us? Can you talk to us? Yeah, about let me let me just say something about the um, about the Holy Spirit before we get to the. I think those two things are related. Um, the uh, getting to, getting to the genealogy there, but the 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 baptism here of Holy Spirit and fire. So Ephesians four. Uh, says that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then here John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, so Ephesians 4 says there's one baptism. Luke chapter 3 seems to say there's two baptisms. Okay, so what's going on here? Um, I think that John as a is, is giving this sign of baptism to these disciples, to these followers of the Lord, um, for repentance of their sins as a sign that they want to uh, repent of their old ways and walk with the Lord. But this baptism of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and by fire, 
um, we're going to see in just a second that the Holy Spirit is going to descend like a dove, it says, in bodily form upon Jesus. What that looked like, I don't know. Uh, you know, I have no idea. Uh, but we see that there's, there's a connection here made between the baptism with water. It's after Jesus comes up out of the water that the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And then there seems to be this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I read baptism by the Holy Spirit and by fire, what do I think of but Acts chapter 2, right? The the disciples and the apostles are gathered in the upper room and they're praying. And then they see these tongues of fire and they all begin to speak in speak in tongues in a miraculous kind of way in Acts chapter 2. I, I think we see a, a forerunner of that here uh, in Luke chapter chapter 3, that Jesus is going to baptize his disciples with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I think this refers to regeneration, right? The new birth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we could talk about, I think we have talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not about being a second work, right? That is if you're, you become a Christian and then you become baptized by the Holy Spirit and then you're like a super Christian, right? Uh, I don't think that's what the, the witness of scripture is here, but just as when you go under the water, right, you're completely submerged in it, right? Exactly. That's why John was a Baptist, you know? He puts <laughs> you all the way under the water. I think you see this picture here uh, of the of the Holy Spirit. Once you come to the Lord, it's he's all around you. You're completely, your life is hidden with Christ on high. You are, you are in Christ at that point and baptized by the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit dwells with you. I think we're talking about regeneration there. And so once Jesus comes and is baptized, I think it's important to note, Jesus was baptized. Um, he was 30 when he was baptized. Um, and I think it's important to note that Jesus did not have any sin. So the the baptism for, you know, for Jesus was not about his sin, but our sin. Him identifying with us, uh, that that he would be the one to take on our sin. Jesus was not guilty of any sin. He took our sin on. And his example here, surely baptism does not wash away sin, because then why would Jesus be baptized, right? Uh, right. So any kind of notion like that. So it's, it's a symbol, it's a sign uh, of something that is deeper and something that is greater. But you notice after the baptism happens to Jesus, Jesus comes to John and is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. And then you see a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I don't think that voice is the Holy Spirit. I think that's God the Father, right? I think we see a, a representation of the Trinity here at Jesus' baptism. Um, that baptism is a Trinitarian act. Mm. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, not in my name, right? right, But in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Of the the Trinity. So you see that connection here in Luke chapter 3. And I think that really... I think that really flips the lights on for the rest of the old, for the rest of the New Testament, right? We can see that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all about the same work of redemption throughout the New Testament, uh, as you know, it's the the mission of God in a real sense to bring about His uh, His salvation. Again, Luke chapter three verse eight, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That brings us to the genealogy. What? Okay, we've got this really climactic. We got the Trinity on display here in Luke chapter 3, and then Luke, in a riveting fashion, gives us a, a genealogy. That's just what everyone wants to read at of the course. end of something like that. Uh, the purpose of the genealogy here is to 
uh, trace the lineage of Jesus back to its uh, back to its roots. Why why would you have a genealogy? Well, uh, for a few reasons. One, you would have a genealogy if you were like royalty, um, so you would know who's who is your father and you know who who you belong who you belong to. So the sons of David, right? We have a genealogical record in the Old Testament about the sons of David because they were the monarchs. They were the ones to um, inherit the throne. Also, if you were a priest, you would have a genealogy because only Levites could be priests. So for you to hold a rightful office in the uh, in the tabernacle, you'd have to be able to prove your genealogical record. What we see here is those things being taken care of by this genealogy, proving that Jesus is the true Davidic king and he is the true great high priest who will intercede for his people. Now the names can be a little bit laborious and you can read them and you can think, "Man, this does not minister to me spiritually, right? You can you could see that. But if you take some time to read about these characters, to read about their place and the story of redemption, some of them are, you know, incredibly riveting stories. Some of them are like nobodies. You know, they're they're like a blip on the page of history, and yet they played a part in the story of Christ coming to be a part of coming to, to, to reveal his salvation to all flesh. So that should be an encouragement to you. Like wherever you are, you have a, a place and a purpose in God's great work in this world. You know, there's nothing uh, about you. That's an accident. You know, there's, there's not anything about you. That's a, a divine mess up or anything like that. Uh, God can use, people of, you know, the greatest kinds of stature and the lowest kind of stature. And I think you see that in Luke 3 because you see it talk about Pontius Pilate. You see it talk about Herod. You see it talk about these guys who are rulers. God has put them there in that place during this particular period of salvation history. And he's put John there on the field. You know, John who's living in obscurity, living like a wild man out in the wilderness like a prophet. And God has a purpose for John as well. So just because you might think, man, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing that's really, uh, can God really use me? Well, if God can use John in this kind of way, this guy who's living in obscurity and who's preaching a hard message to people and yet they still hear it, you can trust that your faithfulness to God in the small things will yield fruit in its season. Uh, The power of, uh, comes from the Lord, not from you, not from me. The power comes from the Word of God. The Word of the Lord never returns empty. So if you're faithfully living by the Word and faithfully seeking to proclaim the Word, uh, you can have hope there's going to be some dramatic results from that. You might not ever see them. You may not see them till eternity. I mean, I don't think John saw a lot of the fruit of his labor, as, we, as we'll see. He wound up losing his head. Right. You know, that, that's what happened to John the Baptist. Would we count that life as a loss or as a shame? No, we, we celebrate that. We celebrate him as, as the one who uh, prepared the way for the Lord Jesus. And so we, too, uh, are involved in the story of what Christ is doing till to this day as those who are, if we're in Christ, uh, redeemed by his sacrifice, filled with his Holy Spirit, let's not doubt what God might do with our ordinary acts of faithfulness as well. That's amazing. Wow, I was going to just ask about genealogy, and you gave us some really good knowledge there. That's a great word. Thank you. Uh, yeah, man. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I feel like we went through this whole book of Luke 3, and, and I know that we pulled out some of the main topics there. Is there any of the, of the little things you might want to nitpick on and talk about? 
Um, man, we, we could spend more time, uh, drilling down on some of this. Uh, let me, let me hit this right here in verse, uh, in verse 18, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. We, as God's people, should be the sorts of people who preach the good news to the people, right? We tell them the good news about Jesus. Tell them the good news that our sins can be forgiven. Tell them the good news that God has a plan uh, for our lives and a purpose for our lives wherever we might be. And in doing so, make sure we preach the gospel. Yeah. Uh, not just to generically say, hey, God loves you. And not just to generically say, hey, it's all going to work out. But to say, no, Christ died for your sins so that you might be made right with God. That you might be justified in His sight. That's the good news. Yeah. So let's not back off from preaching that. Let's not back off from uh, living in light of that truth. God, I think, will will reward that just like we see here in John's ministry. That's wonderful. Thank you, Drew, for all that you do, of course, coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and sharing uh, the word with us. And thank you to our listeners as well for uh, if you're on uh, YouTube watching this or if you're just listening online, uh, we want to thank you. Uh, make sure and like and subscribe and comment and all of that fun stuff as well. Um, I believe we have a couple more books left that we want to give away. Sure. <laughs> so, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, some of the Packers books. So yeah, get, uh, make sure that you comment and we're still going to give some of those away. Yeah. And if you are listening to this uh, on like Apple podcasts or something like that, we had a long process of trying to get our podcast hosted on the right platform. And so big thanks to James for just making that all work. We're uh we're amateurs in every sense of the word, and, uh, and so I'm just grateful that, uh, that that could happen. But yeah, if you're enjoying the podcast, you know, uh, please let us know, um, and we'd love to. And like I said, like James has said in past episodes, if you have questions or things you'd like us to address, topics you'd like us to address, or uh, if we're not, if we're not, you know, talking about or, or hitting on the things you'd like us to hit on, please let us know. Um, yeah. We want we want this to serve you, and we're uh, we're grateful for the, all of those who listen to this, including both of our moms so yeah <laughs> maybe the entire team. maybe primarily both of our moms <laughs> that's awesome well guys thank you so much i hope you have a good rest of your day and we'll see you next time right here on the creekside podcast hey thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast today i know there's a ton of things you could have spent your time listening to but james and i are grateful you spent some time hanging out with us. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside Fellowship, you can go to our website at creeksidefellowshiptn.com. Uh, you can find our contact info there. If you've uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can rate and review and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And if you have any questions for us, you can email us at info at creeksidefellowshiptn.org. That's all on our website. You can also connect with us on social media. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Hope you'll tune in next time.